0: So, Paths of Glory. Now, this is one I didn't actually rewatch it this week. Here, I, I did see it a couple years ago, and I've probably seen it at least three, if not four or five times. It, it, it's short. It's Stanley Kubrick. It's one of my favorite movies. Again, I, I do like All Quiet on the Western Front, but for some reason, I've just always found Paths of Glory way more rewatchable, and it's just kind of fascinating. Had you had you seen this one before? No,
1: but I completely agree. Yeah, this was awesome. I was super happy with it. I I think I'll definitely uh, revisit it again uh, in the future. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know Kirk Douglas being directed by Stanley Kubrick. It's it's awesome,
0: right? What's what's not to love? And it's like less than ninety minutes, so it's it's a nice, exactly. nice short anti-war film. And what I didn't realize, and I kind of done various degrees of research of this over over the years, is the extent to which And again, Kubrick had a penchant for the controversial, and I guess I hadn't necessarily considered this to be one of his more controversial choices, but did you see there where it was basically banned in tons of countries? Yeah,
1: yeah, there's actually and i guess that was because so the the movie is based on a novel that was then adapted into a uh, stage play and the stage play was basically like it was critically panned and also a commercial flop because nobody wanted to go see an anti-war play but kubrick Wanted to adapt it anyway because he just thought that the subject matter was so important.
0: Right. That's where Kubrick's always been one of my favorite directors because he's just so bold and brave, and he's not he's not afraid to tackle tough subject matter, and almost feels like it's necessary to tackle these tough topics that no one else wants to deal with. So, again, I've always just respected him for that, and I I had no real reason to bring up Steven Spielberg on this episode, but I've kind of always seen Spielberg as kind of the antithesis to that. That Spielberg is a great director, but doesn't necessarily tackle controversy or challenging things. He does tell important stories, but he doesn't tell stories that make people think, why the heck would he make that movie? What was he thinking? Like, that's just not where he goes. And basically, that was Kubrick's whole career was making movies (laughs) that made people say just that or send him death threats or get his movies banned in different countries across the world for various reasons. I've just always been really, really impressed with his work. So this is based loosely on an actual event, and we are still dealing with World War One. This actually works very well as a companion piece to All Choir on the Western Front that we just talked about on Tuesday. It's from the French perspective instead of the German But the focus specifically is the idea of executing soldiers in your own army for cowardice in a way to inspire the rest of the army to not act similarly. But of course, then the travesty of this whole movie and the actual events it's based on is they were accused of cowardice in in a situation actually very much like what we saw in Gallipoli, where it was just kind of that that lost cause you had no chance of advancement and yet you're still being asked to go forward and basically like the moment you stick your head up out of the trench you're gonna die and then because you refuse to do that we're going to kill you Okay, so basically... And I don't need to get specific about the geography, but basically, yes. So we're in the middle of the whole trench warfare thing, and there was a spot where the French had basically just been kind of bogged down, hadn't been able to make any progress. Recent attacks were unable to make any advancement. It's just... Basically kind of a lost cause, but they're still trying to say this is an important spot we have to get.
1: Yeah, at the beginning of the movie, there's a little bit of narration that's kind of setting up the story, and uh, it's the only narration in the movie, but there's a kind of, you know, just to kind of paint the picture of what it's like to be living in this time of the trench warfare it says successful attacks are measured in hundreds of yards and paid for in lives by hundreds of thousands. So basically, you know, the trenches at this point are stretching ba- the, the entire length of the French border from the English channel, pretty much all the way down to Southeastern France. I, I don't know what the name of that sea is there, but there's trenches that, that whole way. And basically for the entire war, they don't really move, you know, they kind of move a little bit here and there, but uh Uh, just to move a a few yards you know would take thousands and thousands of troops to do and even if you did get there you might have to just turn around because you can't hold it
0: right right so just yeah just the absolute waste waste of life and we've kind of talked about before with world war one it's just kind of the it was that worst nexus of military tactics versus new technology and they just weren't prepared for a battle like or for a war like this so yeah again in the actual in the actual event this was kind of based on they uh before they were getting ready to make one last uh, one more futile attempt the french planes were supposed to like basically drop a barrage on the german trench before the french advance oh well they missed and hit their own trench and then those people in that trench were then still supposed to go and attack the german line so basically you know the, the general still orders them to advance and actually has his order basically ignored and then when they do finally have it go through basically the men just refuse to leave and then they want some accountability so it's actually more people that they tried to accuse of cowardice here in the actual event than the movie the movie We kind of narrowed it down to make it about the actual guys so it said 24 were sentenced to death however 18 basically got that execution order stay two more were kind of exonerated for not having heard the order and then four men were executed by firing squad They basically exonerated not long after. Basically, even still during the war, they kind of still had... Yes, uh,
1: they were exonerated posthumously. So basically, everyone, which I'm sure they would have rather been exonerated before they got shot. But that was actually one of the scenes in the movie that I thought was kind of really interesting, showing kind of how out of touch the higher-up leadership is when they're, like, haggling over how many guys they think need to be executed. Oh, my gosh, right. Like, the you know, the one guy says, oh, you know, I want, you know, 12 men executed executed and then he ends up coming down to he said well we'll just have each one of the company commanders pick one guy so that's that'll be three that we'll
0: put on trial and the other guy says oh three yeah that's that's reasonable right you're talking about their own men they're going to murder yeah exactly yeah, and so where the so where the movie does a great job again, it's 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 all fictionalized. It's made up names that they use a made up place called the Ant Hill that they're trying to take, but that not, I don't think any of that's based on anything specific. So, but they do a great job of adding in all the the subtext that oh this this one guy's picked because he's actually got dirt on his commanding officer oh the the guy that gets the what was it that he had on his commanding officer
1: so at the beginning of the movie it, it shows these two guys a corporal which is, this is actually interesting a corporal Paris and a private Lejeune which side note uh, I don't know if Stanley Kubrick did this on purpose I wasn't able to find but those are both names of Marine Corps bases on the East Coast. So Paris Island is where half of uh, Marines go to boot camp, actually in Full Metal Jacket when they're at uh, boot camp. It's on Paris Island. Oh, interesting. And then the other guy, Private Lejeune, there is a Camp Lejeune, which is named for a, a Marine General uh, who fought in World War One? So I don't know if that's intentional or not, but I just thought that that was kind of interesting. But anyway, so Corporal Paris and Private Lejeune go on this recon mission with their lieutenant, and the lieutenant tells Private Lejeune, "Hey, we're gonna wait here. Go check up ahead." And Corporal Paris says, "You know, split up." And you know, in a at a, a night mission, like, are you crazy? He's like do what I say. And so the guy leaves and he doesn't come back right away. And uh the lieutenant freaks out and thinks that they're going to get killed. So he throws a grenade and then runs away. And then Corporal Paris is like, well, I'm not going to just ditch Private Lejeune out here and leave with the lieutenant. I'm going to go try and find him. So he goes up and finds that Private Lejeune was killed by their grenade that their own lieutenant threw. So he comes back and uh, he's upset with a lieutenant who refuses to admit guilt, threatens him with all this punitive action and he says, oh well, you know I'm now going to threaten you with, you know, revealing that you killed one of your own men, you know, basically out of negligence and you know, because you, you freaked out and couldn't keep it together on this recon mission. And so then Corporal Paris is one of the guys that gets picked to be, you know, to go stand trial for for cowardice cuz his his company commander is basically trying to get rid of him cuz he's got he's got dirt on him that he killed one of his own guys.
0: Right. And what's always what's almost even kind of even more heartbreaking is that his commanding officer isn't vindictive or cruel. He's just weak. He's doing it yeah. out of fear, not malice which somehow makes it worse because you only, I don't how it's, it's 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 almost even just tough to watch because you don't i mean yeah yeah you, you hate him for it but again he's he's not a jerk about it he's just a coward about it which is all ironic because they're being killed for cowardice
1: yes and and this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit but at the very end when colonel dax who's played by kirk douglas in the movie who's still alive by the way oh yeah. I had no idea yeah he's like 100 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's like, like 102 or something like that. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm not exaggerating. Let me look it up. (laughs) But when he basically kind of like figures out that that lieutenant picked Corporal Paris because he wanted to get rid of him. And there's he knew that there was nothing that he could do really for Corporal Paris, because, you know, even though he believes him, nobody else probably would. And there's no other witnesses to the event. Um, But he makes that lieutenant in charge of the firing squad. To kill those guys basically like, hey, man, you know, you're going to get what you wanted, but you're also going to have to get a front row seat to it. You're not just going to get to, you know, get this guy out of the way and then go about your your life right like you're I, you're gonna carry out this sentence,
0: yeah, Kirk Douglas in this film is actually just one of the great characters of any war movie, if you think about it, just how yeah he's he's competent, he's brave, he's loyal, he's firm, he's smart, like he's just just the kind of person obviously you want in a war, but also the kind of person who hates being in war, but he's gonna do his job and do it well, right.
1: But going back to the, yeah, the, so, you know, the the way then that this lieutenant is acting when he's going around and he he's asking the guys if they want blindfolds. And when he gets to Corporal Paris, who he is directly responsible for being tied to that post, getting ready to get shot, he can't even look him in the eye. Mm-hmm. He's just, you know, he's looking down. He's like, hey, you know, do you want a blindfold? And he, the guy's like, no and he's like i'm i'm really sorry and the guy just doesn't say anything to him and he's like you know hangs his head and kind of walks away mm-hmm. and yeah
0: oh man yeah oh yeah it's it's uh, it's it's powerful and of course Speaking of powerful, so again, I, I kind of even had in my, in my notes here, too, that if they made a movie about something like this today, you feel like they'd come in with the last minute reprieve, and the guys would be saved, and justice would be served, and it's like, no, this is Stanley Kubrick, this is more real, and the men are not saved, the men are killed, and... Kind of the denouement at, at the end. Well, I guess that's always where day are. But they they're kind of on leave, and they have a, they go to like a bar, and they're getting, just kind of getting a break from the front. And they have this captured German girl that they drag out onto the stage and make her sing for all these French troops that are hooting and hollering at the, you know, the beautiful young German girl who, you know, doesn't even understand the word they're saying. And they're just there's being, you know, almost like the cartoon wolves just howling at this girl and you feel so bad for and so disgusted at them. And she starts singing and they slowly shift from hooting and hollering and just kind of lustful to listening. listening to her song, even even though they don't know the language, they start to kinda hum along and sing along and they all start just like weeping. And it's just this great, great moment. And honestly one of the all time powerful moments of any movie is just kind of that crowd and they kind of are just singing and chanting with her. And it's just this powerful moment. And they basically stopped objectifying her and just kind of are sitting there in their common humanity with their enemy or someone who represents their enemy. And then we cut to the street outside and they're kind of told that, yep, these guys are going back to the front tomorrow. Well, just give them a few more minutes. And then it's just kind of the military music kicks back in. And, you know, it's all just kind of continue as it was before. But you kind of got that one yep. little reprieve uh, right before, which again, kind I of got to get a chill just talking about it. It's, uh, it's powerful.
1: And that uh, German girl. Is uh, that's Stanley Kubrick's wife? Uh, well, which they it became Stanley they Kubrick's wife. They, yeah. Right, they weren't they weren't married at the time, but because I think in the in the movie she's credited as Suzanne Christian. But if you like, if you if you watch it on uh, Amazon, like I did, and they have you know the little it'll show like trivia stuff about the scene, mm. uh, but it, it, she's listed there as uh, Christian Kubrick, and I was like, what is that? Like his sister oh, right, or something. Right, right. But yeah, no, he he
0: he married her. And yeah, it basically like they met on this movie and then were married for the next forty years until until he died. Yeah.
1: Yeah, which is crazy. So one other thing
0: that I have written here that I thought that this
1: movie did really, really well was kind of juxtaposing the life of the your every man in the trench versus the life of the officers. And it's obviously, you know, visually done by showing these, you know, the, the dirt and the mud and the dead bodies in the trenches, you know, with the barbed wire and the explosions Versus the mansions and nice furniture and galas and dances and stuff that the officers have, but also just their attitudes towards the war are completely different. And the officers are so out of touch with how they don't really even like see, or if they do see, they're kind of choosing not to acknowledge uh, the effect that the, the war is having on these guys, like yes. at the beginning of the movie, one of the generals is going through the trench, you know, shaking everyone's hand, you know, Oh, you know, good job soldier. You know, you're, you're, you're fighting for your country. And this, this one guy's kind of out of it. Then one of the guys standing next to him was like, Hey, you know, sir, this guy's a little bit shell shocked, you know, don't mind him. And the guy's like nonsense. No such thing as shell shock. Yeah. And then he, you know, just starts screaming at this guy, basically. Yeah, he's slapping him around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, again, when they're when they're planning the uh, the attack on the on the ant hill, and the the generals talking to Colonel Dax, because he asks how much, you know, what are they forecasting as far as losses, and he says, oh, you know, five percent from friendly fire. Like that's, you know, right off the bat. 5% that we're going to probably kill and then he's like and you know so many percent getting to uh getting to the trenches and so many percent then taking the ant hill and and if you if you add it all up it's 55% losses is what they is what they forecast but that's like an acceptable cost to them that they're going to send 55% of this regiment to the grave to get this ant hill which it's just it's it's insane. And then, you know, and then stuff like uh, when they when they have their lunch and they're they're haggling over how many of their their own guys they are going to execute. And uh, as soon as they're done, you know, he says, oh, yeah, three. That's that's reasonable. And then, uh, the guy just kind of he turns to Colonel Dax and he's like, well, Colonel Dax, you know, I hope you can stay for lunch. And it's like, yeah, now that we're done talking about your soldiers that we're going to murder by firing squad onto more pressing business like what we're having for lunch today. Uh, yeah just that disconnect like you said and one more example of this not to beat a dead horse but at the end when the firing squad actually shoots the three guys there's no like camera lingering on them as they you know die and sad and somber music it's firing squad the dudes fall over and immediately cuts to the two generals having lunch together talking about "Oh, the men they they died wonderfully you know yes, what a what a yes. what a great event this was. We did we really did a good job, like patting themselves on the back for how well the execution went.
0: So I wanted to talk about this kind of practice in in general. So it, it is something that I mean, obviously this movie is based on a specific incident, but this was this was done by both uh, the French and the British, at least on a fairly regular basis. It doesn't look like the U.S. practiced it as as much. It may have actually initially had some people who it did condemn, but then they their sentences were commuted. But So there's actually a monument in Britain to kind of people who were executed in this way, because I I read an article, actually, I pulled that up too. So there's an article that talked about, this is obviously a pretty prevalent phenomenon, because they weren't willing to accept at this time the mental anguish that these men were going through, and how... They weren't just cowards. They did actually have things like PTSD. So a lot of the men who were, you know, accused of being cowards or deserters had been mentally screwed up by the war effort already, and were basically broken men who then were executing as cowards when they are any anything but. And so there, there's been a push, obviously, in more recent decades to, even though some of them were exonerated at the time, but to further exonerate them and see them as victims of war who did, you know, fight and serve for their countries. uh, so in britain specifically so so it's taken a while so in 1993 they were first looking at in britain to kind of uh, pardoning these men and say they died you know kind of for for the empire but it was actually argued against them at the time in 1993 that pardoning them would be an insult to those who did die honorably on the battlefield so it wasn't until then 2006 that they finally said, I'm going to read the quote here from the uh, uh, British Defense Secretary, and I think he did a good job of kind of basically stating both sides of it in a way that makes sense. So he said, to second-guess the decisions made by the commanders in the field, who are doing their best to apply the rules and standards of the time, you know, we we, we didn't want to second-guess them, but that it's better to acknowledge that injustices were clearly done in some cases, even if we cannot say which, and to acknowledge that all of these men were victims of war. And so I thought that was kind of maybe a better way to sum it up and say, yeah, hey, some of them may have been, again, not deserving of execution, but, you know, may have been legitimate cowards. But at the end of the day, everyone was a victim of the war. And we need to recognize that. Um, and like I said, there is actually a memorial up in uh, Staffordshire commemorating people who were, it's, it's called the Shot at Dawn Memorial. Because that's kind of when a lot of these executions would have would have taken place. So I, I thought that was interesting and definitely worth worth a mention. Kirk Douglas is 102 years old and will be 103 in December. He just uh, man keeps on rocking. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like, he's so old that I didn't even necessarily, like, know that he died. It was just, like, my logical conclusion that I came to in my head. Like, oh, of course Kirk Douglas is dead. Like, what is he, over 100?
0: <laughs> and then I looked yes. it up and I'm, oh, no, that guy's still kicking. <laughs> right. We're talking about a movie from 1957, you know, when he was older than I am. Yeah, exactly. He was... He was uh he was 41 when they did this movie, in 1957. <laughs> he's still going, <laughs> crazy. Yeah, Kurt Douglas. Was, he was born during World War One. <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I guess he was. Yeah,
0: 1916. <laughs> yeah, cra- crazy. Let's see, what else I'm trying to
1: think. uh, Is this the first, this is the first Kubrick movie, right, on the list?
0: Uh, Oh, yeah, so actually, yeah, this, well, no, we we did Spartacus. Oh, that's right,
1: which also Kirk Douglas, but.
0: Yes, and that's one too, I think, where actually Kirk Douglas brought him in when they kind of replaced the director uh, midstream. So Kubrick doesn't actually have that many movies. Have you looked at Stanley Kubrick's uh, filmography?
1: I have looked at it before, yes, because there are, I mean, that's like, it's That's, like nothing. He, he's one of those directors where it's it's pretty easy to be a completionist of his work because there's not that much.
0: 13 to movies. Watch. The guy made 13 movies. And yeah. the number of them in like the IMDb top 250, I'm pretty sure last I looked it's like 8 or 10 of them. Like it's let's just read them all. So, he ended with Eyes, Eyes Wide Shut, which he actually died before it was complete, and I've only seen it the one time. It's probably one of his weakest movies if not the weakest movie of his. But then 12 years before that it was Full Metal Jacket before that seven years before that the shining barry linden which not is isn't as well known but it was the best picture nominee
1: barry linden is significant uh not necessarily because of the you know the the plot or anything but because he lit the movie entirely with natural light and candles
0: there were no no artificial lights uh,
1: huh yeah no no lighting um like light bulbs because uh, they, they wouldn't have it
0: then we they wouldn't have it then so he didn't want to right. film it yep because that yeah that, yeah kubrick is uh, was there he i think he started as a photographer he's definitely so definitely all about that a clockwork orange 2001 a space odyssey dr strange love lolita spartacus Paz the glory the killing and then the two i haven't seen are killer's kiss and fear and desire and those aren't necessarily rated as well so in my mind i almost kind of like just to pretend that it starts with the killing and then he only has uh, 11 movies. <laughs> but uh, The Killing is actually really, really good. So I was actually a year before Paths of Glory. And it's about guys fixing a uh, horse race. And as you can see here at 8.0 on, on IMDb. Yeah, anyway, great director, innovator. If you haven't seen Paths of Glory, you, you got to check it out. It's actually on... If you have
1: Amazon Prime Video, it's, it's free.
0: Oh, nice. Okay, I have the, I have the DVD. <laughs> but uh, it, Not that the IMDb Top 250 is that solid anymore, but Paths of Glory does rank number 60 all-time on that site and is a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I'm guessing that means one or two critics, for some reason, thought it wasn't that great, and I can't even begin to get my head around what you could possibly say against... Oh, my gosh. So the, the negative, negative review uh, uh, is basically saying it's kind of grim I'm like yeah of course it's grim what are you talking <laughs> that's about point. that's, the, that's point. the point guy <laughs> uh so yeah no legitimate criticism <laughs> against Pass the glory oh my goodness other than i guess that's they're speaking english instead of french you could argue i mean it's so the language is off but yeah no an inconclusive point is another negative one yeah anyway no i i completely call bs on any negative reviews of past the glory it is amazing and I would say movie vegetable, but I legitimately enjoy this movie. This is not a this is not a tough sit. Yeah,
1: I think uh, All Quiet on the Western Front is more of a movie vegetable. Than oh, absolutely. A glory. I absolutely, think Has glory. is just it's just a, it's a not a fun movie to watch, but it's no, it's just a, a good movie. I
0: mean, it's yeah. And again, it's it's yeah, it's, 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 it's twenty seven sort of... years newer, so it, it definitely has. Again, it's nineteen fifty seven, so it doesn't necessarily feel modern. But again, the filmmaking has changed, and I think the more recent a movie is, in a lot of ways, the more. Easier it is to watch just based on what you're used to. Um, The one last thing worth mentioning here is the conversation that the men have about how you would rather die. And they basically talk about how the most important thing is to have a painless way of death. And they basically say it in a way that's, you know, well, of course, I'd rather have a painless death than a painful death. And the guy's like, well yeah, but don't you see them? That means the whole point isn't that we're scared to die, we're scared to be in pain. And I just thought it was kind of a fascinating conversation. And and again, this 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 movie is just kind of awesome.
1: Yeah, and he's and he's talking about like, oh yeah, so and so, he's afraid of gas, but I'm not really that afraid of gas, but I am
0: really afraid of explosives. And the other guy's like,
1: Oh yeah, I really hate the explosives <laughs> too.
0: Man, so yes, uh go see Paths Glory. It's amazing. <laughs> and free if you have Amazon Prime. <laughs>